Turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 2, which is just before Zephaniah, which is no easier to find than Habakkuk. So, uh, and just after the book of Micah, and you say, well, or, or Nahum, then Micah, uh, Micah, then Nahum. But if all else fails, you have a concordance, I hope. So uh, look in the front, find the page number, and Habakkuk chapter 2 uh, is where I would ask you to turn. Uh, we are in the book of Hebrews uh, in our study, but not today. I always do a mid-year, I do a start year message in January of kind of what, whatever God puts in my heart for that year. And I try and do something in the middle of the year to just kind of recenter us. Where, where are we at? What does God want us to kind of consider? And then we'll get back into our Hebrews study next Sunday, Lord willing. Um, a few weeks back, uh, the Lord put this passage, uh, it, well, He's put this passage on my heart many times over the years. Uh, there are certain verses that may come to you at different seasons, and you come back to those verses, and you say, wow, boy, did I need to hear that. You ever, you ever reread a verse that ministered to you in a big way like five years ago and you totally forgot about it? And you're like, wow, how did I even forget that? Now, I haven't forgotten this verse. I go back to it from time to time, but there'll be times where I just don't think about it for three months or four months. Or, uh, and the Lord put this passage back on my heart. Uh, it is more about, I mean, the, the true context of this passage is about what God is going to do in the restoration of Israel and the days to come. But like so many things in the Old Testament, the stories about Israel are metaphors also. They're, they're real, they're historic, they're prophetic, there really will be a full restoration of Jerusalem, and all of that is coming. However, God does little works of similar restoration in us. We're little, the Bible calls us the temple of God. We're like little temples that God restores, and one by one, He restores another one, restores another. And there's things that He plans to do in us that He's not done yet. Amen to that? And so Habakkuk 2 3. Uh, starting verse 2 as well, it said, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. This is pretty cool. Uh, this would be so succinct and so clear and so just kind of encapsulated in small amount of words that you could read it while running. We live in a fast-paced age. You need something that you would know that you could read on the run and take on the run. That he may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for a point of time, but at the end it will speak, it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. This is what it says in the Living Bible, different translation. I, I usually use New King James Version. It's okay. The other versions are good too. Not, not all good, but there's a lot of good versions. But this is the Living Bible. If you look at the words, if it says, uh, this is kind of the, the different wording here, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Sound familiar in your life? Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair. For these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. Isn't that a beautiful passage? We need passages like that. 
a beautiful promise and a passage, a promise only God can bring about. There's so many things, and in reality, everything only God can bring about, but so many things we know only God can do. But we do have a role to play. Would you agree with that? We have a role to play. Even though only God can do it, we have a role to play. We have to believe the promises, don't we? We have to believe the promises. We also have to wait on the Lord's timing. Does anyone here like waiting? Friday, I was at McAllister's Deli. I didn't even like that there was 12 people in front of me. I'm like, come on now. You know, y'all know I was coming? You know, that kind of, you know, I'm kidding. And our waiting is not all just sitting and doing nothing. If you're a believer, while you wait, it's not sitting and doing nothing. Our waiting, though, requires patience in spirit and in prayer, but living out the commands of Christ. While we're waiting, we're actually doing the things he asked us to do, the commands of Christ, until he comes or until he does the next work of grace in our life. Because until he comes, there's new works of grace that God wants to do in you individually, us collectively. Six months ago, back in January... I began the year with the scriptural truth that what we are being today as we abide in Christ, what we're being today as we abide in Christ is in itself yet another milestone on the pathway of God taking us to new destinations, new power, new victory. Do you, does that make sense? What we're being today in and of itself is part of that milestone here we are six months later. Now, some of you weren't here in January, but, uh, but some of you were. But regardless, you were alive in January. I'm pretty sure of that. So six months later, here we are. Are you making progress? Are you making progress? It's a, you'll know if you are. I can look and see. It's really cool. One of the things that will excite your spiritual life is when you can see progress. Don't get too worked up about all the things that God could do. They're coming. The passage said, those things will come. The question is, are you seeing progress? Are you seeing some progress in your life? Are you believing and trusting in the faithfulness of Christ as you refuse to turn back? Refuse to turn back. Once Moses went all in, he was all in. There was no, I'm going to go back to Midian now. No, it's over. Until I'm 120, I will follow the Lord. You know that song, I've decided to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. Have you taken the steps the Lord has asked you to take? Asked you to take. In in this room, God's asked you to take some steps that are not the exact same steps as somebody else. Now, spiritually speaking, we all have some of the exact same things that we must be doing, but there might be a step that God has spoken to you specifically about. Have you taken that step? Maybe steps you committed to taking. You said back in January, February, Lord, I'm going to find, tonight our team goes into Bonaire. I'm going to finally go to Bonaire. Have you gone yet? You get two visits. Well, no, I'm putting it off till 2025. But I said I would do it in the first six months. What are you waiting for? Are there things you are doing now in obedience to Christ? Something he, maybe he impressed in a passage of Scripture. 
something you were convinced to. You were driving down the road and some message came on the radio and you heard it and you knew it was for you. You knew God wanted you to hear that and you knew, Lord, I, need, I needed that or maybe a devotion you were reading. Are you being now what you're becoming or what God desires you to become? Are you being right now? Uh, we can only go as far as right now. Amen? I can't get into next week yet. Can't even get into tomorrow. I don't want to get into tomorrow yet. By the way, we don't even like Mondays either on top of all that. Uh, but we can't get past the moment where, I, but Lord, are we right now obeying you, resting you, resting in you, abiding in you now? If you're taking notes, you saw the title of today's message, Steadily Forward in Jesus. Steadily forward. Steadily forward. You know, um, tractors may not move really, really fast, but they get way more done in a field than a sports car. Wouldn't you agree? A slow John Deere will feed thousands. A Porsche in the field does nothing. Think about it. Slowly, steadily. God's not asking you to run a sprint, but he is asking you to continue to move forward and slow, steady will actually bring a harvest whereas trying to zip around the field of the Porsche isn't going to do anything. It's a spiritual paradox. We're told to wait. You know how many times you've read in the word wait on the Lord? Wait, wait, wait. You're like, Lord, I've, I've read wait a lot here. You'll also read the word walk a lot in the word. You'll also read the word work. How do you do all of them at the same time? Wait, walk, work for the Lord and in the Lord simultaneously. And not always at the exact same moments of your life, but in our spiritual life, they are simultaneous. I hope if, if you have the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm saying, that, that God is required of us to wait on him, work in him, walk in him simultaneously. But it's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Lord has promises and harvest that will come, but in the meantime, in every season of our life, the Spirit is calling us to spiritual progress. Spiritual progress. Spiritual progress. Moving us forward. Moving Moses forward. Moving Paul forward. Moving David forward, right? While you're waiting, and maybe you're groaning right now while you're waiting, while you're waiting, are you growing? You can grow while groaning. Did you know that? And I don't mean complaining. Groaning, sometimes there's just sometimes there's pain in your life that God has allowed, and there's difficulty, and there's anguish, and there's recovery time, and you can be groaning while growing. Now, you can't be growing while complaining. They're two different things. Groaning can be Jesus groaned in his spirit. Do you think he was complaining? No. Now, he groaned because he was grieved over sin. He was grieved over things. So you can be grieved over something, groaning over something, but still growing at the same time. Matter of fact, you'll find in the end you grew more during that time than you did in the high and hey, everything's great. This is a, life's a praise service. But this, uh, this passage really spoke to me earlier this week. Um, earlier this week, I, I'm, I'm in my own personal study of Deuteronomy. 
this passage really, so much to me, I sent it to our leaders and elders, and I said, this passage spoke so much to me. I've been meditating on it for about five straight days now. And the Lord spoke to me, said, you have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward. Is that a good word from God or what? Did you know he wasn't rebuking Moses here? Moses was already in the will of God. He was already doing what God asked him to do. This is not a rebuke. This is a just, our leader is Jesus. He knows more about our next steps than we do. Sometimes when Jesus says it's time to move on, it's not a rebuke. It's simply, I'm in charge. Let's go. That's what he's saying. Uh, If you have a good football coach, it's not a rebuke when they say, all right, gather in. We're getting on the field now. That's not a rebuke. It's simply saying, we've done enough of this. It's time to play the game. And so God is saying to me, and I believe to our leaders and to all of us, there's some things that we've skirted long enough. And God says, now you're going to go through this mountain or over this mountain or through this sea. You've skirted it long enough. And it wasn't a rebuke. It was simply say, I had you there for a while. God may have had you in a wilderness period for a while, and he says, it's no more. You're moving forward. You've got some giants to defeat. So that passage has just been on my heart the last couple days. Now, not sure what fully means to me. I I have to kind of, I told our elders, I'll I'll have to pray on it all summer, Uh, probably the rest of July, most of August. Lord, what does this mean to me? I, a few, I have three or four things that popped into my mind that I believe that, you remember God hits, mul- he sends one arrow and hits multiple bullseyes with one arrow. But I believe that um, it'll become clear and I hope that it speaks to you as well. But it's in contrast with Habakkuk 2.3, uh, yet in, in a life, because this is a contrast, this is a, it's time to stop scurrying the mountain and move forward, whereas Habakkuk says, wait patiently. They seem like a contrast, but actually they're in perfect harmony. Because as we're abiding in Jesus, we're always taking steps of what? Faith. The just will live by faith. The just will take these steps of faith, waiting for God to bless our planting. You know, summer, when I mentioned the John Deere tractor, when farmers are planting, they're doing work, but they have to wait for it to do anything, right? But there had to be some work required. There had to be some effort required. You have to plant to wait on, see what the Lord will do. And so God wants you in the summer planting while you're waiting. Um, the summer, the men begon, uh, began a couple, well, actually just before the summer, the men started going through the D.L. Moody Spiritual Leadership uh, series on our bottom rowers once a month, men's night. And then ladies, uh, or they're, they're meeting a little more often each Tuesday here in the month of July, started on the eternally desired this past Tuesday. We actually had both the men and the women meet in the same week. Uh, two great discipleship studies that really, if, if, if applied, can really help us finish well in 2019. In half of the year, they can help us finish well. And this morning, I want to revisit two of the guiding spiritual principles in D.L. Moody's life. There were two guiding principles that he lived by in his life uh, the men uh, saw this as we looked at chapter 1. Uh, and I want to add a third um, for our focus as believers. And we'll look at these three very briefly. Uh, as we're desiring, and I hope that you're expecting a fresh work of God in your life. And so we'll look at these two guiding principles that were in D.L. Moody's life, but also a third. And I believe that they, they frankly just are uh, instrumental to all of us as believers. If you're taking notes, the first one I want to, this is the one I added 
Uh, but I took the two that were guiding principles of his life and his understanding of Scripture over the years and how God used him as probably the greatest evangelist the world had ever seen until uh, Billy Graham came along. But the first uh, is the one that I believe precedes these other two and why D.L. Moody could live focused on the other two is this one, our confidence. We desperately... Now, how many of you think you need confidence in Christ? <laughs> you, you need confidence that God is for you. You need confidence that tomorrow He's already there. We desperately need a God-given and a God-centered confidence to be or to do what God's called us to do. We need confidence. Many of you parents, you're trying to instill confidence in your kid. Uh, remember the first, remember your first day of school as a kindergartner? It was terrifying for some people, right? I mean, you would do everything to hide from the bus. You know, whatever you could do, you needed confidence that you were going to make it. That you could, you ever, you entered the first class, maybe you're a person that hated math. You needed confidence that God, did you really invent math? And if you did, why? <laughs> right? Why did Isaac Newton even have to come up with this stuff? It doesn't make any sense. Who would sit around thinking about X's and Y's all day? Why, Lord? You need some level of confidence. But we need God-centered confidence to be or do what God's called us to do. The enemy absolutely hates a confident Christian. Satan hates a confident believer. He doesn't hate a prideful Christian. He loves prideful Christians. If you're a prideful Christian, Satan will lavish you with more pride. But he hates a confident Christian. And confident is not the same as prideful. Confident is confident in the Lord. Prideful is prideful. Look at me. Big difference. But a believer that is confident in Jesus and the promises of God, uh, the enemy hates that because he knows that that believer has zero confidence in themselves. The reason why David could take on Goliath was not because David thought he was equal. He just said, I have a God who created all this stuff. Why do I need to be, I'm just going to stand behind that, my God. We talked about earlier this, we need to get behind Jesus a lot, don't we? Just get behind Jesus and he will go before us. What is it that we're confident about? Um, are we confident that Christ saved us? Are you confident you're saved? Are you confident that Christ has saved you from sin? If you are, that's a, well, not only a perfect first start, it is the necessary first start. If you're not confident in your salvation, it's going to be difficult to have any other successive confidence. We must have confidence that Christ has saved us. Are we confident that His Holy Spirit is living in us? I'm confident the Holy Spirit, I know the Holy Spirit's living in me because if not, I would make nothing but bad decisions. And I, many times, uh, I was telling the guys on Thursday night, um, I was uh, walking through Walmart, um, which is always fun. And um, so, you know, we we're going through there and trying to get stuff. And, and I had a timeline in my mind how soon I wanted to be out of there. You ever have that? And you, your work, the clock is working. I'm like, all right, that's off the list. That's off the list. And, I, and this guy comes around the corner and he just starts chatting with me. And I'm like, in my mind, not my face, my mind, I'm thinking, I got stuff to do here. You know, I don't really have time for this. Uh, but my face was like, hey, you know, I'm enjoying this too. You know? and, 
But my mind was like, I got to get out of here. How do I? I, I and, and then I remembered, like the Holy Spirit's like, hey, you, you're a believer. What is this guy? And turns out he ends up telling me his wife died one year earlier, and he was with his 10 year old son. And he starts telling me, all, and I ended up inviting him to church, went out to the car, got a card. My wife was with and I pulled up, and I, and I saw him again in the parking lot. Kate got out, started talking, invited him, and he started saying, I really appreciate that. And all. And, but my, my flesh didn't really feel like doing that. But the Holy Spirit said, I don't care what your schedule looks like right now. I care about this guy and his 10-year-old son. And so that's what you know the Holy Spirit's living in you when the Holy Spirit diverts you from yourself on a regular basis. Are we confident that he cleanses us weekly, daily, forgives us? Are we confident that Jesus loves us? You know, the, the Jesus loves me song. It's not just for kids. It's for all of us. Are we confident that we now have a calling to serve him? Not a request. Hey, if you're interested, if you'd like to serve me, you know. No, we have a calling to serve him. Are we confident that we have a commission, uh, a responsibility to carry out the commands of Christ? Are we confident that we are alive for God's very specific purposes. Notice I said God's specific purposes, not our specific purposes. We're not here in Richmond. You're sitting at 11900 Genito Road this morning. Did you know that God planned for you to be here before time began? Today. This moment. You are not here by accident at this point in history. You're in 2019. You're in the month of July. By God's design, you're alive now and not 1,000 years ago, Amen. not 50 years ago. You're not here by accident. Are we confident that God has made us, in this room, all of us are made uniquely different, not just our fingerprints. There's so many other things that biometrics tell us now are unique to one person. But you, you and I are uniquely different than anyone else to uh, accomplish specific plans that God has just for you and just for me. The question is, are we steadily moving forward to those things or are we nowhere near them? Are we confident that God's will and plan for us infinitely exceeds our own well-designed plan. Well-designed, right? And the older I get, I realize my plans aren't that well-designed. I was telling my wife yesterday, I'm becoming more and more, this is a being while becoming, this is a, a kind of theme this year, being while becoming, I'm becoming more and more, not only at peace with this, I really mean this, but kind of embracing when things don't go my way. And when you start to embrace it, anxiousness, irritability, just starts to fly out the window. You're like, yes, if this isn't going my way, God is stepping in again. And you just start to embrace it as that this is great. And the enemy hates it when you embrace that God is in control. He doesn't like it. But your spirit will love it. And you will not, you, you all of a sudden won't be in so many of the chains. I mean, more and more, yesterday several things didn't go my way. The more I've Pray and I said, Lord, thank you that these things did not go my way because it tells me you have something better. Are we confident that Jesus can be trusted? We trust all these other things that can't even be trusted, uh, like you know our internet password and stuff like that. Uh, we trust these things that really can't be trusted. Are you confident that Jesus can be trusted? That are you confident that He deserves our full surrender, or just eh, a little smidgen? 
Philippians 1, 6. You know this verse, or maybe you don't, but I love it. Being what? Confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. There's another promise that God will complete what he started to the day of Christ Jesus. That's all the way to the end of the age when the day of Christ Jesus is the eternity in heaven. Paul wanted the church to be confident. Our confidence in the will of Christ, in the work of Christ, in the commands of Christ should lead, should, should lead to total surrender to Christ. But maybe you say this morning, my confidence is still feeling weak. I got the solution for you. As we've been going through the D.L. Moody study, uh, study uh, here's, here's what it is. If your confidence is weak, you need some consecration. I need some consecration. And by the way, even if you are consecrated, it's a, this is a daily thing, by the way. You'll need to be reconsecrated day after day, living sacrifice. I was talking this Wednesday to some brothers in the Lord. Uh, I mentioned the study that I attend. Uh, Joseph here, here leads it. It's an awesome Bible study. Um, and that particular morning, uh, now some mornings I, I'm not able to go. I just have other responsibilities. But when I'm able to go, uh, I do go. Uh, and that particular morning, I didn't really want to go. Uh, and the Spirit said to go anyway. And so I just said, all right, Lord, you, you woke me up really extra early. I will, I will do these other things and then go. Um, but I said, to these, uh, I said to these men, for anyone that calls themselves a Christian, the first question we can ask anyone that says they're a Christian, say, all right, you say you're a Christian. Are you born again? Because in this country, lots of people think they're Christians. Lots of people think they're Christian. Well, how are you? So why are you Christian? Well, my grandfather was a Christian. His grandfather was a Christian. Uh, okay, but what about being born again? Well, I, I'm, I go to church. Well, Nicodemus was really religious. He was part of the Sanhedrin. And Jesus said he wasn't born again. Super religious. Went to the temple. Did way more church going than most people that sometimes call themselves. So first of all, are you born again? Now, if the answer to that is yes, the second question is: Is your life? And this is for all of us. You say, if you raise your hand, and said. Yes, I'm going to ask you. Raise your hand if you're born again. The second question, are you consecrated to Jesus? Now that's a different question, isn't it? Are you consecrated to Jesus? The answer to both questions needs to be yes. But if it's yes to the first and no to the second, you're outside the will of God. And you cannot walk in the fullness of the Spirit, and you cannot walk in actually the promises of God. Because if you say, yes, I'm born again, but I'm not consecrated to Jesus, I'm consecrated to my career. I'm consecrated to this, I'm consecrated to that, but I'm not consecrated to the Lord. I will in five years when I accomplish this, that, and the other. And then I'll do it. Well, you may not be alive then. So you only have today. And instead of a growing faith, you'll eventually have, if you're born again but not consecrated, you'll eventually have an eroding, dying faith. It's the way it works. It's like tooth decay. And once it sets in, you better see a dentist at some point, right? It won't fix itself. You have to have a consecrated faith. As a matter of fact, consecration is an exercise of faith. Consecration is an exercise of faith. What consecration will do... It'll overcome our fears, our doubts, even our pains and anguish. Consecration will overcome these things. Uh, Matthew Henry said, when I cannot enjoy the faith of assurance, 
I live by the faith of adherence. What I cannot enjoy, the faith of assurance. Sometimes we don't feel so assured. He says, at that point, you need to re-adhere to the command. In other words, you need to double down on obeying the Lord. And assurance follows, which consecration and obedience go hand in hand. Our feelings will follow our faith. Does that make sense? Our feelings will follow our faith. If you're led by feelings, your faith will erode. If you're led by faith, your feelings will be transformed. Feelings will not transform your faith. It'll just destroy your faith. Faith will root out the wrong feelings, but not overnight. It's not an easy process. Um, uh, you know, it, in, my, in my yard, I, I made a commitment. Last year was a really rough year of a lot of things with Pastor Randy passing away, and so I, I made a recommitment. This is not a super important thing, but just to I would do the things I normally do to get the yard right again. And, uh, and you get to fight all kinds of things. The insects, the fungus, the Japanese beetles. I mean, everything, everything does its part. The weeds, and yet if you make slow, steady, consistent things, you'll see that all of a sudden the roots get deeper, the green gets greener, all these, I, I, Jesus talked about agriculture a lot. I don't know if you noticed that in Scripture, but a lot. Because the metaphor is the same. That it takes some level of commitment to always get weeds out of your life. To always get the insects out. And it, you have to be diligent about these things. And a consecrated life takes dil- diligence. You have to settle it now to believe and obey the Lord. This is to say, I'm going to consecrate myself to Jesus no matter how I feel, because he's called me and he's worthy. That alone. Say, I'm going to consecrate myself to Jesus because he's called me and he saved me and he's worthy. And as I adhere to consecration, which is not a feeling, it's a commitment. And I, as I adhere to consecration, consecration means to set apart, to give. Say, I'm, I'm giving myself, Lord, to you. I'm setting myself apart. Um, then assurance and peace will come. Does anyone want assurance and peace? People are spending all kinds of money and things and buying crystals and going here and going, trying to get assurance and peace, and they're never going to find it in those places. All the money, all that kind of stuff. Um, look at this passage. It's in the Old Testament in the, uh, in the Tanakh. Oh, I already said that one. No, that's not an old text. That's Matthew Henry. But anyway, uh, let me go one more. There we go. Leviticus 11.44. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore what? Consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy. You cannot be holy apart from consecration. God's called us to be holy. For I am holy. Now this passage is restated again in the book of Hebrews. Be holy for I am holy. But there can be no holiness apart from consecration. You have to say, Lord, I'm giving myself to you. When two people get married, they give themselves to each other. Amen? And they say, I am yours for the rest of your life. For better or for worse, I'm not going to stray. I'm going to stay with you. I'm consecrating myself to you. I'm giving myself to you. I'm setting apart my life for you. We do the same thing with the Lord. We say, Lord, because you saved me, more than just saved, he called us out of darkness. We couldn't even hear, and he opened our ears, opened our eyes. You saved me. I now consecrate myself. I give myself to you, and Lord, as I do that, you'll make me holy. Now, it's a paradox. 
We are already holy positionally, even though we're still flawed until we go home. Does that make sense? But you're becoming more holy as time goes on if you're consecrated. That's the spiritual progress. You're making that, making that progress. And our confidence will grow as our consecration grows. Does that make sense? Our confidence will grow as our consecration grows. Um, and in a sense, everyone is consecrated to something. It's either to Jesus or something else. Here we are in the middle of 2019. What are you consecrated to right now? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's, what are you consecrated to? What have you given yourself to? Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, sacrificial servants to Jesus. To go back, well, again, when I was at the Walmart, I didn't plan on getting an altar. The, the aisle way became an altar for me. Either stop and listen to the Spirit and engage with this guy or go on about my own thing because finding the next grocery item is so important. And it wasn't important to God. The only reason I was there was to meet that guy, not the cornflakes. That was the reason. I thought it was cornflakes, but it wasn't. It was that. It was a person. We have to willingly lay ourselves on the altar. And if we say, yeah, I already know this, but don't actually surrender to what we know, then this command tells us we're no different than the rest of the world. They're not, they're not consecrating to Jesus either. What would make us any different than your unsaved family members, family members or neighbors or whatever it may be? We'd be no different if we're not going to consecrate ourselves. Joshua, you know Joshua, he was Moses' understudy, then he takes over, he brings the children of Israel into the promised land. We'll see this in Hebrews chapter 4 when we get into it next week. Uh, Joshua had already been serving the Lord his entire life. Would you guys agree? He had been a faithful servant. Matter of fact, God says that him and Caleb, had a, they, those two, God says they will see the promised land because of their faithfulness. And Joshua had already been serving the Lord his entire life, yet he's close to death and still says these words, which you all know, for himself and his family, he's really near death. He's really at the end of his life. And he says, even at the end of his life, Joshua 24, 15, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, how could it be evil to serve the Lord? Well, a lot of people today, even in America, are saying the most evil people are hateful Christians. We're seeing today, people are saying it's evil to be a follower of God. I don't care what they say. When I stand before God, I'll answer to him. And if I was full of the love of Christ, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. It didn't matter. They called Jesus the son of the devil. How about that? That's what they called Jesus. But Joshua said, if it seems evil for you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Go ahead. Joshua said, if you want to serve Baal, go for it. Dumb move, but you can do it. He says, uh, or the gods who dwell in this land, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, I'm consecrating my life to the Lord. Well, they might say, Joshua, you don't got much life left. He said, it doesn't matter. Until I take my last breath, I'm consecrated to the Lord. We have to daily consecrate our lives. Um, maybe you were more consecrated back in April than you are today. God's saying, you need to reconsecrate. And the last thing we want to look at this morning that goes hand in hand uh, with conse consecration. D.L. Moody said that... Um, he, these two principles, he constantly, the Lord reminded him to stay consecrated 
and concentrating on the things of the Lord. I was, um, I think perhaps uh, more than any time in human history, this is my own opinion, you probably would agree if you studied anything, uh, I think perhaps more than any time in human history, we have a harder time now on concentrating on things than at any point in human history. We have distractions everywhere. And it's been great to look out and see, none of you are on your phones this morning. It's great. You're getting relief. God's saying, I'm giving you relief this morning from that stupid smartphone that is now chained to you. I have it too. We, we, and, and, and there's blessings to it, but I, I would glad that I really wish we could go back in time and some of these things not be invented. I do. I remember, and I, I was in the business world uh, for years until I got called to ministry, and I remember it was so nice when email, work emails didn't come home with you. You left them. Matter of fact, there was a time when there was not even email. That was even better. But then came email, and then it came home with you. And then it followed you in the car with a phone. And then it branched into text and all of this stuff. And so we have a hard time concentrating, don't we? Especially, we have a really especially hard time concentrating on things of value. Things that actually matter. We can concentrate on things that are not important. We have a really hard time concentrating on the things that actually are important. Isn't that an interesting conundrum? It's going to take intentionality to focus and concentrate on the things of the Lord. Would you agree with that? It's going to take intentionality to concentrate and focus on the things of the Lord. Uh, this week, I, some of you might listen to Dr. Michael Youssef on the radio. He was from Egypt, and he's pastored down at a church in Atlanta. Uh, and, he, and he said this week, I was listening to him, he said that he believes, and I 100% agree with him, he said that the vast majority of American believers are suffering from SADD, spiritual attention deficit disorder. Spiritual attention deficit Disorder, And I agree with him. I believe that that is. And I suffer from it sometimes myself. The Lord reminds me, you're suffering from SAD right now. Good acronym, isn't it? Less and less time for the Lord and very little commitment and consistency. As a matter of fact, I was thinking, you know, I mentioned our prayer meeting last night was lightly attended. And I know people have real real commitments. I mean, if I told our, the prayer group last night, I said, if it had been two weeks ago, I couldn't be there because I was in North Carolina. So there's real reasons. But on the other hand, there's many things God's calling us to that the only reason is not legitimate. It's just we prefer something else of what God is actually calling us to. And, and so many of the, many of the, unsafe, the unsafe world, uh, we know they don't that interested in things, Lord. But many believers are kind of they insulate themselves from concentrating on the things of God. In this, in this sense, they're like, I'm glad I'm, oh, I'm glad I'm too busy, overcommitted, and overentertained to have time for things like a Bible study or prayer meeting. They're glad they're so busy that they can't. So when people say, hey, why don't you come? They immediately have a default, oh, I can't because, and they're happy about that. But yet they have no peace. They continue to starve spiritually. They continue to... You know, I, I need to see the doctor for this. I need to see this. Then I, and I, I'm losing my mind and all this stuff. And God is saying, I've asked you to come sit at the table and concentrate on me, but you won't. I've asked you to come, and you won't. See, concentration 
or, or consecration, consecration necessitates concentration. Does that make sense? If you're going to consecrate your life, you'll then have to concentrate on the things of the Lord. In other words, true purpose and focus of our lives then becomes Jesus. What are you concentrating your energy and your effort on? I mean, you have to ask yourself and say, Lord, show me in the mirror. What am I really, what am I really giving my life to? I read an article about 10 or 12 years ago about a senior manager at a, at a, a large technology company. And this was back when the, the stock was doubling and then doubling again and then doubling again and doubling again. And so he was a young guy, maybe about 35. Uh, he had already worked like 15, you know, uh, I think he graduated from like an um, Ivy League school at 21 and, and had already done like 14 years in a major technology company on the West Coast. And the stock had multiplied and he had been promoted like 10 times. And uh, so he, he was able to cash out with like $12 million at the age of like 35. But then while in, the, in the first year, he was kind of dissatisfied with all his free time, and he made a list of all the things that he'd done in corporate America that would have any real impact on people's lives. And he made a list of 100 things, and he found that only three things out of 100 really impacted people. The rest of it was just stuff to do, right? Meetings to attend, numbers to give, all this stuff. And he's like, but no. So he then started a nonprofit. Now, he wasn't a believer, but what I found fascinating about the article, I think I read it in the Wall Street Journal or something, what I found fascinating about it was that he recognized that there was no value in what he was concentrating on. And his soul was bothered by it, but he couldn't put a finger on it. I'm like, you need Jesus. <laughs> but so do the other people that are still there, that are just pining away for someone else's corporate profits and millions and billions and reports and all that stuff. And I'm not saying, I'm not against making a living. I'm glad you guys make a living because the church, we actually need you to make a living to actually have a building. But, you know, <laughs> so those things are important, but not, they, they have to have their right place. Does that make sense? Their right place. Are we losing time? Are we filling time? Are we having lots of me time? Or are the scriptures tells us to do, are we redeeming? time. All the other things. Ephesians 5, 16, redeeming the time. Uh, last night, again, prayer meeting, a tremendous time together. And, and as we gather here, and if you, you know, come out at our next prayer meeting, you'll redeem time. You'll never leave a prayer meeting saying, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. Especially if it's really anointed Holy Spirit. I mean, there could be some goofball prayer meeting out there that's not anointed. But I think that anytime believers are truly gathering to pray, God shows up where two or three are gathered. You will never leave, you'll leave many other things disappointed. You're like, that was a lousy concert. That movie wasn't any good. That's supposed to be a five-star restaurant. Yelp lied to us. All, the, all these different things. You'll have those moments and you'll say, that didn't live up to expectations. But you'll come and pray and the Holy Spirit will say, you're more fed, more filled, more refreshed now than you were when you walked in this door. John Piper said, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Now, I use both those social media platforms. I'm not against them. I use them for the Lord. But I sometimes get bogged down in three trains. I'm like, why am I here? You know, I started with this topic. Now I'm looking at a cat. And, you know, what is going on here? And, you know, and... Um, and I have to catch myself, and so do you. Right, right, right. And I'm not against those things. And by the way, for people that are all smug, they go, I don't use any of that stuff. 
I've met Christians that don't have a single, they don't, have, they don't watch TV, they don't have social media, and yet I ask them, how's your prayer life and your word? And they say, it's not real good. I'm like, what do you do? <laughs> shoot, shoot arrows at the sky or something? I don't know what you're doing, but uh, it, it doesn't matter. The enemy will give you something to distract you. I don't care if you live out on a mountain by yourself, on an island by yourself, with media, without media, the enemy will give you something. The question is, if you're going to stay consecrated and concentrate on Jesus, you'll blow past all that stuff and you'll keep your eyes on the Lord. Closing this, um, consecration is that commitment of the heart. Consecration, um, I'm sorry, consecration is that commitment of the heart. And then concentration is that diligent focus of our lives and actually doing the will of God. Consecration says, Lord, I'm committing to do it. Consecration is actually doing it. It's like you have the confidence, confidence, consecration, and uh, concentration all together. It's like this. Um, Confidence is believing that your alarm clock will work. Okay? Confidence is believing you have a functioning alarm clock. I bought it from Target two days ago. It's working great. You have the confidence that it will work. Consecration is setting the alarm the night before. And then consecrate, concentration is when it goes off, actually turn it off and getting up. That's how it all works together. The three of them together. Against your flesh, when it says, what about 15 more minutes or 20 more minutes or whatever, it, concentration says, no, I committed the night before in consecration. I had the confidence that it would work, and now I will concentrate, Lord, you will help right leg move to this direction, plant on floor, <laughs> breathe in coffee from downstairs, you know, all that stuff. And so that's concentration. One more passage, and then we're coming to a close here. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16. Till I come, Paul speaking to Timothy. Timothy was a pastor. Paul was a pastor to pastors. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation and doctrine, which we're doing right now reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, by the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. And here it is. Give your, this is not just to pastors. This is to every believer. Give yourself entirely to them that what? Your progress may be evident to all. Your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself in the doctrine. Continue in them for in doing these you will save both yourselves and those who hear you. Your consecrated life is going to bring other people to Jesus. Isn't that great to know? Amen. Amen. A non-consecrated life won't bring anyone to Jesus. Right. But a consecrated life, when you run into someone at the Walmart and the Holy Spirit says, that's why you're here, your consecrated life will become a concentrate, and then you'll concentrate and you'll make eye contact and say, Lord, what do you want me to say to this person? What do you want me to pour out in goodness and grace and love and faith? And the exhortation here is to give, the exhortation in the scripture is to give attention to, to concentrate on the things of the Lord. Don't neglect them. Meditate on them. You, you, you won't have to, the world, Satan bombards us with things to meditate on uh, and medicate, self-medicate. Oh, I just want to just kind of lose myself. There's no growth. And you have to medicate, me, um, or meditate on the ministry that God has given you in this world to be a light Jesus. We cannot give ourselves half-heartedly to the path of God that he set before us. Do you agree with that? We can't give ourselves half-heartedly to it. 
and expect to overcome the obstacles that we will invariably encounter. There will be obstacles. And if you have a half-hearted commitment, we're not going to make it through those obstacles. But if we resolve to concentrate our life on the kingdom of God, to the will of God, to the commands of Christ, here's what's going to happen. We'll please the Lord. We'll please the Lord. Not only that, we'll hear well done. Not just in the future, but now. You can hear well done tonight. Hey, well done. You're doing the things I asked you to do. And we'll see God do great things, and he'll release chains in our life that really don't need to be there at all. They're self-imposed by resisting what God has called us to do. Back to the passage I began with, and we're closing with this. Back to the passage I began with. He's promised that he's already gone before us. Isn't that great to know? He's promised that he's already gone before us. But what he's calling us is slow, steady growth. Don't beat yourself up like, I better read the entire Bible tonight. <laughs> My wife, and I love her, she, she is a little more like, you know, over the years when she wants, I'm going to get back into working out, she'll try and do like a five-hour workout. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you can't jump back into a five-hour workout. You will be out for two weeks at a commission. You slow and be consistent and build on it and build on it and build on it. Amen. I love that about her. I mean, she's she all in when, you know, like a, but that will just take you straight back out of the game. You want to say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the next thing you've called me to do. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for your promises, which never fail, never fail at all. And Lord, we know that you will bring to pass what you've promised if the role you've given us to play is simply to say, yes, Lord, I believe your words, which is the confidence. I surrender to your will, which is the consecration. And Lord, I'll begin taking steps of faith, which is to concentrate on and do the thing, not just make excuses, but Lord, do the things you've asked me to do, and then I wait in spirit for you to do the next work or a great work that we've been praying about. And Lord, I believe in this room, you're going to be healing people this year. You're going to be breaking chains. We're going to have a testimony night that's going to blow us away if we do these things. We're at the middle of the year, Lord. We want to finish well and see you do these things. With your heads bowed, I just want to... This isn't to make you feel bad or anything like that, but if you say, I've kind of lost my way a little bit as far as really being consecrated and concentrating on the things of the Lord, and even my confidence in the Lord... But the Lord spoke to me by His Spirit. I want you to raise your hand right now. Say, Lord, I, I've, I've lost a little bit of that, what you have called me to do. Yeah. And I would pray over these. Lord, these hands, I pray that they would not just raise a hand, but as you have said, don't skirt this mountain any longer. Head northward. You are the guiding north star of our life. Head northward to the place of obedience and consecration and surrender in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.